Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grace Church once again. My name is uh, Pastor Ryan. I'm so glad you joined us today, whether you're sitting in a pew in the church or in someone's home or you're watching by yourself in, in some, uh, whether you're, not, you're in Abbotsford or in some other part in the world, we're so glad you came. Well, again, we're living in crazy times some stressful times. And, uh, you know, uh, some of the questions that people are asking these days that are, you know, am I going to catch COVID? Am I going to die? Uh, should my kids go back to school? Now, with, with us being in the middle of October, you probably already decided that already. But uh, nonetheless, people are asking more stressful questions. Do I still have a job? Um, is my business going to be able to un- withstand all the pressures that I'm experiencing right now? Is the apocalypse going to happen? Who's going to win the election? Is there going to be an election? Um, uh, my family, my marriage, can it withstand the pressures that I'm experiencing and facing right now? And what do I do with all the anxiety that I'm feeling right now? And if you yourself aren't asking these questions, and if you yourself aren't feeling anxious, I guarantee you, you have people in your social circles that are feeling anxious about life right now. And so we've been in this series in Proverbs, and we're continuing on in this series. And um, we, we, we started by talking about a man by the name of Solomon, who lived 3,000 years ago. He was the king of Israel. He was an ancient king who wrote ancient wisdom. And his uh, words of wisdom in scripture can be found, uh, one of the places it can be found is in the book of Proverbs. And so the past two weeks, we've been asking ourselves the question, how do I keep it together? And we've been learning that this ancient wisdom that was written 3,000 years ago that, was, that, that is, is just as relevant as it is today as it was when it was originally written. And we glean some wisdom about how we can keep it together during these stressful times. We're going to continue again in, in Proverbs, but I'm going to ask a different question today. And the question is, how can I bless others? Uh, it, it's, it's not just about me and me keeping it together, but there's others around me that I need to bless and encourage and help out as well. And so we continue where we left off. And we left off in Proverbs 12, and we're going to stay in Proverbs 12, and we're going to start at verse 18 today. There's three verses that I want to uh, highlight today that jump out at me to help us reflect on, on well, three different things. And uh, again, they're all very complimentary, but we'll start on verse 18 today. So Proverbs 12, verse 18 says this. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You know, this verse reminds us that the tongue, the, the, the words we, we use with our tongue are powerful, really powerful. If you are a reckless person, you're going to use your tongue as a tool to destroy and um, just, just cause issues, uh, cause problems. You're going, to, you're going to hurt people with your tongue. If you're a wise person, you're going to use your tongue in a way that blesses others, that brings healing to other people's lives. And so if we were to look at that verse, which one are you? Are you reckless? Do you bring destruction? Or are you wise and bring healing and blessing to others? Now, before you answer that question, quite oftentimes I I find, at least for myself, when I read a proverb, and this may be true of you, I I think we like to see ourselves, uh, when we look at a proverb, as the good person in the proverb, the righteous person, the wise person. Uh, That being said, if we're honest with ourselves, we can probably think of times in our lives where maybe we have been reckless with our words. Maybe we've hurt people with our words. 
hopefully there have been times as we look back at our lives where we use our tongue for good and we use it to bless others and bring healing to our lives. And so if we were to ask that, if we were to answer that question, which one are you, reckless or wise, maybe if we were honest with ourselves, we would admit that maybe we're a little bit of both at the same time. Well, regardless of your past, uh, let, let's challenge ourselves, as Scripture is challenging us here, to be people who use our tongue and our words with wisdom to bring healing and blessing to other people's lives. There's a story that comes to mind as I, as I was reflecting on this uh, passage, this verse at least. And the, and the story is of two men who, uh, who were reckless with their words, and as a result of their reckless behavior, it literally put the lives of their family and their servants at risk. This story can be found in 1 Samuel 25, and it starts with a man by the name of David. And um, David was a man, an Israelite, who served under King Saul. King Saul was reigning at this time as king. And David, uh, he was a very special man, and he actually rescued the, Philist- uh, the, the Israelites from the Philistines by killing Goliath. And uh, as, as after killing Goliath, he was promoted through the ranks eventually over time, and he became known as a, as a leader among uh, the Israelite troops and became known as a war hero. And he had so much success wherever, God, wherever he was sent, and God blessed him to the point where everyone loved David. But a problem rose when Saul became jealous of David. He became so jealous of him to the point where he wanted David dead. And so David had to flee Israel. He had to, to hide in the forest and in the wilderness. Uh, the only thing he did was just he treated Saul with goodness and Israel with goodness and kindness and help. And, and that's how he got treated. And so he was fleeing for his life. Uh, Saul could never really, uh, well, he got to him, but he could never kill him. And anyways, this, this story, David is in the wilderness, and he's got a following of people. He's got 600 men following him with their, their, with their families and, and their lives. And, and David is situated, he's camped out near uh, uh, the property of a man named Nabal. And Nabal is a rich man, but he's also described in Scripture as an evil fool. He's got thousands of animals, and so I can imagine he's probably got a large family. He's probably got a lot of servants uh, on his property. And David and his men and their families, they're camped out beside his property. And over time, um, David, he didn't steal anything from Nabal. He didn't mistreat or harass any of the servants. Um, and in fact, he, he actually, Scripture describes him as someone who actually provided help to Nabal. And in fact, that he protected Nabal from predators or other people. And the time, t- the time came where David and his men, they were hungry. And so they went to Nabal and they asked him for some provisions, some food. See if he, could, he was able to help him out. And um, so he sent some messengers to relay that message. And Nabal, he decides to respond in a very reckless way. He, in, instead of uh, responding in a kind and gracious way, he insults David. He insults his father, Jesse. He calls David an outlaw. And just tell, basically tells him to buzz off, take a hike, get lost. You're a nobody. Well... The messengers go back and they relay this message to David, and he then responds in a very reckless way. Now, um, David, understandably, I have some sympathy for him, although the way he was responding was not uh, appropriate, because again, he's running for his life. He feels like a fugitive, and he's done nothing wrong. And uh, here he is, he's protecting this man's property in this man's field, and he just dismisses him as an outlaw. And uh, maybe he's hangry as well. I don't know what's going on, but he just responds in a reckless way. He says he, he, he commands 400 of his men to strap on a sword, and they go chasing 
uh, running towards Nabal's property, uh, and he is in danger. David's on a mission to kill him and the rest of his family. Now, you need to remember that David was a military hero. And it didn't matter how many servants or family that Nabal had. I'm sure he was already outnumbered. But even if he had similar numbers, he still wouldn't have stood a chance to this military hero. And so here comes David and his troops bearing down on Nabal. Well, Nabal's wife gets news of this, Abigail, and she decides she's going she's to she's do something. And so she doesn't tell her husband, but what she does is she gathers a lot of provisions, hundreds of loaves of bread, cakes, food, wine, and she, she, she leaves and she rushes towards David. She intercepts David and his troops along the way, and, and when she finds him, she bows low to the ground. She repents. She acknowledges that her husband's words were evil and foolish, and she also uh, you know, provides the gift of food and provisions for him, but she also acknowledges that he is the anointed next king, and she believes that he will be the next king, and she believes that God will give him victory. And she appeals to David. She says, listen, if you go through with this plan of killing all these people— uh, when you become king, it's going to make you rep- it's, it's going to be a blemish for you and your reputation. Because and so, because I care for you and because I believe in you and because I see good things in your future, please don't do this because it's going to hinder your reputation in the future. And so David stops right then and there and he praises her uh, for intervening. She, he accepts her apology. He accepts the provisions that she's provided, and he, he he tells her, "I swear, if you had not intervened here, I would have taken out uh, your husband." and the rest of his people. The story doesn't end there, but you can read the, 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 the ending of that story in 1 Samuel 25. It ends in a very interesting and unique way. But for the time being, this woman, who is said to have be very sensible and wise, uses her words to bring healing and peace between these reckless men, at least for the moment. And you know, um, David, I don't know too much about Nabal, but these were probably two men who were hurting in different ways. And um, Abigail, she, she stood with wisdom in between these two reckless men with the reckless words they were saying with their, 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 the lives of their family are on the line and she intervenes. She brings healing because she's a woman of wisdom. As you know, in a similar way, we might have people in our lives who've, who've said reckless things. But you know, sometimes God calls us to, to consider how we can use wisdom to say just the right words at just the right time to bring healing in the midst of someone who's caused a bit of a recklessness in their life. And so it's so important for us to ask God for wisdom if we do have someone in our lives like that. Maybe there's someone who is in the midst of a conflict of some kind. Maybe there's someone who's in a relational conflict. And maybe it's, it's something where maybe there's someone in your life has, has not been reckless at all, but maybe, maybe they just, they've just had bad things happen to them, no fault of their own. Maybe there's someone in your life who's struggling with mental health, or uh, maybe there's someone who's struggling with finances, or they're just struggling in some way, and they just need a word of wisdom to bring healing and help in their life. Well, the wise will figure it away with God's help to, to, to get through any circumstance, to give hope in every circumstance. A wise person will bring hope and peace and comfort, a good advice, a listening ear, and a just the right helpful thing to say at just the right time. And so today I would challenge you to ask God for wisdom if you have someone in your life. That, just ask God for wisdom that you can speak a word of healing and encouragement and blessing over them. Well, the, the key word for me that jumps out at me in this verse is the word healing. The goal here is healing. And I think most of us would admit that we don't have it all together. 
uh, our bodies eventually fall apart. They're not perfect. And, um, you know, e- even if you look at a different angle, our, you know, our, our, our emotions, are, you know, uh, sometimes need healing or the way we, we think our minds need healing psychologically, spiritually, relationally. We just know that our lives are not perfect and there, there's this deep sense that we know that we need healing. And um, scripture describes someone who is the source of healing and that person is Jesus. You know, the prophet Isaiah, he, he said this of Jesus. He, he said, um, he said, by his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. That exact phrase, that statement was echoed by one of Jesus' disciples. His name was Peter. And he said the same thing in, in his writings in the New Testament. Where he says, speaking of Jesus, by his wounds, we have been healed. In other words, uh, because of Jesus' work on the cross, because he died for us and rose again, uh, because he suffered abuse uh, for us, because of his ministry and his, work on the, and his work on the cross, we can experience this supernatural healing of the soul, this, this healing that is, is long-lasting, that's eternal, um, uh, that, that, is, that is just totally transformative. The scripture describes those who put their faith in Jesus, they're going to be able to go to heaven with him, and, and they're going to experience this eternal um, uh, state of where there's no more sorrow, there's no more hurt, there's going to be uh, healing, transformative healing that lasts for eternity because of the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. So um, as we pray about being a blessing to others in the sense of being healing, yes, we can give people words of wisdom that can help them in the moment, but what we really need if you want to bless them is to point them towards Jesus, the source of healing, and the one who gives eternal and lasting healing as well. The second verse that jumps out at me that catches my attention is verse 20, two verses later, and it says this, deceit is in the heart is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. And so obviously one of the things that Solomon is pointing us towards here is peace. Be a peacemaker. And there's a benefit to those who initiate peace or work towards peace. He says they're going to experience joy. But the other benefit here is that those who are the recipients of peace, those whom you might be helping, are going to be blessed because they're going to be experiencing peace and they are going to be experiencing that same blessing and joy as well. And so if you want to be a blessing to others, we need to pursue peace. Jesus also spoke very highly of peacemakers Jesus said elsewhere in the, in the New Testament, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And so he thought very highly of peacemakers and challenged us to do the same. Paul, in a similar way, he commanded believers, as much as it depends on you, to live at peace with everyone around you. Live at peace with everyone around you. In another passage, Paul was giving us a list of, uh, of things or fruits you should see in someone's life after they've truly put their faith in Jesus and, and had this true, genuine transformation that's taken place in their life and included in this list, it starts with love, but included in that list is peace and joy. In other words, one of the results you should see in someone's life who's put their faith in Jesus is peace and joy. And so peace is something that we should be pursuing, not just for our sake, but for those around us in these crazy times. A couple of stories came to mind, a couple of illustrations came to mind as, as, as I was reflecting on this verse. 
And one of the things that came to mind was that many of you will know that I'm a twin, and obviously that means I grew up as a twin. And my brother and I, we generally always got along quite well, um, and we always did things together. One of those things that we did together at the same time was that we got our driver's license at the same time. Now, unfortunately, uh, two of us uh, got our license, but there weren't two extra cars lying around <laughs> for us to use whenever we liked. And so um, we had, uh, sometimes we would have little squabbles over who's going to get the car today, who's going to get tomorrow, whatever. And so my, ja- my dad jumped in and he decided that, hey, Ryan, you're number one, you're odd. Uh, Aaron, you're number two, you're the second born, so you're even. So um, uh, basically all the odd days, Ryan, you get first dibs on the car, and all the even days, Aaron, throughout the calendar year, you get dibs on the car on the even days. And man, that settled it. It was so simple, but it settled it and it created peace within our uh, relationship, although it was never really a major, majorly contentious thing, but it helped bring clarity and peace to the situation. I've used that exact same principles for my daughters as they like to, they both like to sit in the front seat in the car. And so they, they get the front seat depending on whether it's an odd day or an even day. And it's worked out beautifully. That's just a really, really simple illustration of bringing peace in a family situation. But, you know, never underestimate the simple ways to bring peace, even within your own family. Because if you can work on that, uh, when you come to something even more potentially contentious within your family, if you build a foundation of creating peace and clarity within your family, it can be that much easier when you get to more difficult things. Another story comes to mind of someone actually in our congregation. I'll leave him nameless uh, just in case I misrepresent his story and him a little bit. But um, he he is a man in our church who owns a trucking business, a uh, transportation shipping business, if you will. And he's in that industry. And some time ago, I don't know how many years ago in B.C., in this area, there was a problem within that industry. What was happening is owners of other companies were hiring foreigners, and that's totally good and fine, but they weren't paying them. They weren't paying this, uh, the, these, these foreigners, and so they would come to the country, and instead of paying them, they would just simply house them for a while. And, and this created problems because this company that was doing this, they were able to save tons of money and not paying out labor costs to these foreigners, that they were able to undercut all the other uh, companies in the region. And as a result, all the other companies within this industry were, were losing money, were losing employees, and it was, it was a stressful time for them. And so you might say there was turmoil within this industry, and you can imagine the domino effects of how this would affect that industry for the long term. And so my friend in this church, he decided to um, speak to senior governing officials, and over time he was able to create accountability, a level playing field, audits, and whatever else to fix the problem. And as a result, he not only was able to bring peace to the situation and save his own business, which, of course, brought joy for himself, but he was able to save uh, the other businesses uh, in his industry so that they wouldn't have gone under. And I want to go a step further in, in the fact that he probably also brought peace and blessing to those foreigners who were being brought over and uh, not being paid properly. They were being you know, abused and taken advantage of. And really the only person who was profiting in that situation was the business owners of those who were hiring the foreigners. And everyone else was losing as a result. So you know who you are? Good on you for bringing peace to your industry and your sphere of influence. We praise God for people like you. Um, So 
whether, 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 whether we're talking about bringing peace within your own family or in your industry or some other category of life, God calls us to bring peace and, and healing and, and blessing, not just for ourselves, but for others as well. We need to be people who promote peace. And you know, just like what I said with healing, if we want true transformer of eternal healing, we need to go to the source of healing, and that person is Jesus. Well, in a similar way, if we want peace in our lives, if we truly want that true transformative peace, we need to go to the source. And, be, and, and, and you know, um, as, as I look at the world around us, I, I've been told as you look through history, uh, apparently humans have been spending more time in nations, have been spending more time in war with each other than we have not been in war with each other. And, uh, and I'm sure over the years, even in, in, in short years or, you know, seasons of peace, if we're not fighting other nations, we're fighting each other. And if we're not, if nations are not fighting within each other, there's always relationships that need healing and, and need peace. Uh, there's always, there's always seems to be some form of turmoil in our life. And if we were honest with ourselves, we would acknowledge that we are in need of peace in our lives. And again, if we truly want that transformative, eternal, long-lasting peace, we need to go to the source. And of course, that source is Jesus. You know, the same prophet that I referenced earlier who spoke of Jesus and his ministry and said that his ministry by his wounds we've been healed, that same prophet said this of Jesus in a different passage, Isaiah, he said that Jesus is the prince of peace. He's the prince of peace. He is the king of peace. He is the source of peace. Another passage in the New Testament where Paul is talking about Jesus' work on the cross, his shed blood, and he says because of his, his work on the cross, because of his shed blood, because of his sacrifice, Jesus has reconciled all things. Uh, he's brought peace. Um, and He's brought peace uh, between God and everything and all of creation because of his work on the cross. Jesus, because of his work on the cross, brings true, eternal, lasting peace. And so if we truly want peace in this life, we need to go to Jesus. And so uh, at a simple level, God calls us to be, you know, bringing peace into our lives and whatever situation we find ourselves in. But if we truly want that true, lasting, eternal peace, we got to go to the source. And that source, of course, is Jesus the last verse for today, the third verse, is verse 25. It says this. It says, anxiety weighs down the heart. Is anyone anxious today? I'm sure there's someone out there who's feeling some form of anxiety in their hearts. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Uh, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind or encouraging word cheers it up. You know, one of the reasons why this verse jumped out at me is because I believe, like I said at the beginning of this message, that people are anxious. Uh, I'm sure there's a, pre- there's a pretty good chance someone watching this right now is, is anxious. Maybe you're in despair for some reason. And um, uh, Solomon says one of the ways you help someone with anxiety or despair or a feeling of hopelessness is that you just have, this, have, a, have a kind and encouraging word at just the right time because it brings cheer, it brings hope. It brings confidence in the midst of despair. And you know, there have been many times as I reflect over my life and the years of my life and the different seasons of my life that I've experienced despair. I've experienced anxiety. I've been down in the dumps. 
And it's, it's interesting. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It, it doesn't matter what nationality you are. There's always an excuse or an opportunity, I should say, to be anxious or in despair about something. But speaking for myself, I've had so many times as well in my life when in moments of despair and discouragement and anxiety, I've had someone who was able to speak into my life and speak a word of kindness and encouragement to me and which has been a, just, just a God sent to me. It's been a blessing to me. Man, we always, all of us need someone who is encouraging us, who is in our corner, who is acting kind of like our, our cheerleader in our life. Uh, that, that can be just so under, that, that, that opportunity, that ministry can be so underrated. Some of us might be asking, uh, can you ever encourage or praise someone too much? You know, there's a saying out there, I'm not quite sure where it comes from, but there's a saying that when you encourage someone, when you praise someone, uh, that, that you hold a crown, and you hold a crown six inches above someone's head so that they have the opportunity to grow into it. In other words, when you over-encourage someone, when you over-praise someone, don't worry about it, because you actually might be, might be the one that's causing them to, to, to grow into the expectations and the praise that you are speaking over them. So don't be afraid to over-encourage or over-help or over-praise uh, someone in that regard. There's someone in Scripture who comes to mind who was known to have a ministry of encouragement. And his name was Barnabas. But that wasn't his real name. His real name was Joseph, but he was called Barnabas. And the reason why he was called Barnabas, which was his nickname, um, was because, again, he had a ministry of encouragement. And Barnabas means son of encouragement. So the early believers in the book of Acts uh, saw Barnabas as someone, again, who had a ministry of encouragement. And it's noted that wherever Barnabas seemed to go and encourage believers, there was a correlation between his encouragement of believers and more people coming to faith in Jesus. And again, uh, his, his, the ministry of encouragement can be so underrated. It's so important. But along with uh, Barnabas' ministry of encouragement, because he had that reputation, he was able to bring healing and peace with, within some conflict that was happening amongst church leaders at that time. I'll just share with you one story. Uh, there was a time where Paul and Barnabas and a man by the name of John Mark went on a missionary journey together. And for whatever reason, John Mark bailed on them during that journey. And that first journey had ended and they were ready to go on another journey. And Paul was adamant that this time he would not take John Mark because of what happened in the past. Well, Barnabas decided to give him another chance. Well, they went their separate ways. And eventually over time, we see that these guys were able to, 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 to reconcile, to heal and work together and um, it's understood that Barnabas played a major role in helping to bring healing and peace through his ministry of encouragement. So encouragement can go a long, long way. But I want to come back to his name because I think his name, there's something subtle within our culture that we might miss uh, because of, again, what, what, because of his name, his, his nickname being the son of encouragement. You see, if I lived during that time, in the biblical times, whether it was the Old Testament or the New Testament, um, I might uh, introduce myself as Ryan, the son of Lewis. That's the name of my father. Instead of in, this, in our culture, in our day, I would just introduce myself as Ryan Pixado. But in their, in their day, I would introduce myself as Ryan, the son of Lewis. In my identity, my reputation will be wrapped up in the reputation of my father. And so if my father was a wicked jerk, and if, and if I introduced myself as Ryan, the son of Lewis, then I would be considered a, uh, uh, a jerk, <laughs> a wicked jerk. 
And on the other hand, if my father was a gracious and wise person, when I introduced myself, they would have also considered me to be a gracious and wise person as well. My reputation and my identity was linked with uh, my father as I introduced myself. And so interestingly here, Barnabas has been nicknamed the son of encouragement. Now, uh, it's interesting, the Holy Spirit is, is referred to as the paraclete in, um, in the New Testament. And that word could mean encourager, a comforter, a advocate, counselor, helper. And what I'm trying to say here is that the, that the Holy Spirit is seen as the encourager. And so on one hand, when they called Barnabas the son of encouragement, they may have just simply been acknowledging that he's an encouraging guy. Or uh, perhaps they saw that Barnabas's ministry was a supernatural ministry from God, from God the Holy Spirit. And um, it was something that, that, that God is working in a supernatural way through Barnabas to, to minister to the church in, in a very unique and profound and special way. Either way, the ministry of encouragement is just so crucial, it's so important, especially in these times when people are despairing, where people are anxious. And so if that's the case, I want to just ask you a couple of questions. If, if, if encouraging people and, and, and saying kind things to people are going to bless people, and if it's so important, who are you encouraging in your life? Uh, who are you uh, a cheerleader for? Who in your life are you holding a crown six inches above their heads so they can grow into it, so to speak? Who are you encouraging today? You know, like I said in another message, uh, I listened to a podcast of an 85-year-old retired pastor who was speaking very highly of his, his wife as he's reflecting on his past ministry and even his present ministry. But she, he, he spoke very highly of his wife uh, as being one who took the ministry of encouragement very seriously. And she was on the prowl, always looking for someone to encourage and bless with her words. And in a similar way, he considered himself to enter a new, a new phase of ministry where he, he went from doing the ministry and leading the ministry to being one who encourages those who lead and do the ministry. He saw himself as a mentor, as a father figure, or as, a father figure as an encouragement to those who were coming behind him. And so I just want to mention this to those who are more senior in our congregation. Um, you know, uh, with age, sometimes we are not able to get involved as we used to be because of health reasons. And I want you to consider that perhaps the Lord has promoted you from doing the ministry to being one who encourages people who do the ministry. Uh, and, and I'm serious when I say the word promote, uh, because again, encouragement could just, I said it a couple of times, and I'll say it again, the ministry of encouragement can be so underrated, and God might have a more important task for you to be an encourager rather than being the one who actually does the ministry. We had an amazing woman in a congregation passed, I think, a couple years ago. And she passed away at, I believe, around the age of 97. And she made it her very intentional ministry goal to be an encourager. And I believe, it seemed to me, that she lived um, to encourage people, uh, very likely right into the day that she passed away. And we're so thankful for people like, like Annie and others who take the ministry of encouragement very seriously. And so uh, this, this challenge that I want to close with for you today is just, is just that. Consider who God has put in your life who's, who, who's maybe experiencing some form of anxiety right now. Consider how you can encourage someone who's going uh, uh, through uh, just, just a time of despair and anxiety and discouragement.
And not only that, I want to challenge you to, to, to pray, not only for God to reveal that person to you that God wants you to encourage, but I also want to challenge you to pray about how you can encourage them, that God will give you the wisdom to say just the right words at the right time to bring cheer, to bring hope, to bring healing in their life. And so if there's one thing I want you to walk away doing, it's, it's consider how you can encourage someone in your life who desperately needs it because of the anxiety and the despair they're going through right now. Pray about it. Ask God to direct you in that realm. And so today, in the midst of the crazy again that we're experiencing, the question I ask is, how can I bless others? And the first, we were reminded, just to, just to remind us what we talked about, um, we are to use our tongue and the words that come out of our mouth to bring healing, not destruction in people's lives. And number two, we are to, to promote peace, work for peace in our own lives and, and for, for the sake of others as well. And if we truly want true, transformative, eternal peace and healing in our lives, we need to go to the source of healing and peace in our lives. And of course, that is Christ, that is Jesus. And uh, he's, he's able to give us that peace and, and that healing because of his work on the cross. And lastly, don't underestimate the ministry of encouragement to those who are experiencing anxiety or are down or feeling defeated. Uh, think of a way that this week and beyond where you can ask God for direction as to who, you, who, he, who, who he may want you to encourage and how he may want you to do that. And so we, we close today. I'm just, as we close today, I just want to say, may, may, hey, may, may God bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine upon you. If there's anyone out there who's experiencing despair or anxiety, may he encourage you this week and beyond. May you experience his presence in some unique way. If you're hurting in some way, may he bring you healing and, and hope and, and not, just super, not just surface level healing, but, but true, lasting, eternal healing for your soul. Thank you so much for joining. 